Hello everyone, this is Belinda Carr. Welcome back to the Movers and Breakers podcast, where we dive into the world of construction and explore the stories of people and companies who are shaping the future of our industry. From the latest innovations to the challenges and triumphs of everyday professionals, we bring you the inside scoop of what's happening in construction. Today I'm speaking with Lucas Karstens, founder and CEO of Modulize in Norway. Thanks for joining us, Lucas. Thanks for having me. So I'm I'm interested in diving into your background and your journey to con- yeah. con- construction technology. But before that, I want to say that you are the first person I've met who has a PhD in artificial intelligence. I thought that was super cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Has that always been a passion of yours? Is that something you wanted to pursue from a really young age? No, so for me, I think as with quite a few other things in my career, it was more, uh, it was kind of more of a case of sliding into things. So initially when I I was leaving school and I got into, okay, what am I going to study? For a little while, I thought I was going to study psychology. I wasn't quite good enough at school to get into that. But I ended up doing uh, a degree in cognitive science at the time, which was kind of a mix of what I thought I was going to like, but then also had this this aspect of human-computer interaction, getting in touch with programming and getting to see some aspects in in and around that. And I, I thought it was really cool. And one of the things that I then was really interested in was language. And I realized, okay, there's actually this thing called natural language processing, and that's computer science plus language. And it has this like cognitive aspect as well. So uh, that was kind of what then led me to go into computer science and doing my master's in computer science in London. Yeah, after initially studying in Germany, where I'm from, and then spent a year as a consultant, as a tech consultant. I was like, oh, this is not really it either of it. But um, I I had a really good relationship with the people at the university. And I was like, okay, why not try and do a PhD and spend a little bit more time just diving really deep into something that I knew I, I found fascinating. And then I think it was a really, really cool experience, but I ended up coming out of it. Okay, this was great, but then I want to apply what? that somewhere yeah. outside of academia as well. And then I kind of went from there. So I don't think, I know I didn't have this grand scheme of getting into this or that. It was just like, a, it was a great opportunity for me at the time and I really enjoyed it. So I recommend it to people if they have an inkling that things like research and like figuring something very specific out to a very deep level is for them, then it's a really cool experience. So your journey in life has been, you grew up in Germany, like you said. That's right. Moved yeah. to London for your studies. Yeah. And then how did yeah. you end up in Norway? So I ended up staying in London a lot longer than I had anticipated. So I was there for one year, I, th- I thought, did my master's. It ended up being nine years instead. Oh. So <laughs> I, yeah, kind of stuck around for this, stuck around for the next thing. And at some point during that time, I met my now wife, who is Norwegian. And so I, it's a very common story when you get to Norway. I feel like there's a lot of foreigners that somehow ended up here because of a partner, and I'm one of them. And it's a pretty good place to end up in. So I, I moved here now three years ago, and yeah, I've been in Oslo those whole three years. But that was really the main driver at the end of the day, being ready for something new and something different, and then having a connection to Norway and so far, that's been a pretty good choice. Now, so how did you get into the construction technology space? Because you talked about being interested in a language that got you into yeah. AI. And then I think, I believe you worked at Routers as well, Thomson Routers? Yeah, Thomson Reuters, that's right. Reuters, yeah. sorry. Um, so 
what interested you about the construction industry and that that sparked a light in you or a flame in you and said that this yeah. is the next step. This is what, what I want to explore yeah. next. Yeah. So there was one, I guess, in, in between step for me, which was I spent a couple of years working for a private foundation in London as well before moving here to, to Oslo. And there my role was kind of being a being the technologist in the room for for lack of a better word and working with various program managers so that were working working on these projects around climate change child health so really really cool projects and so so what i learned was that for me it wasn't so much oh i want to work with this technology or that technology it was just the broader theme of technology having the potential for positive impact and that i think then through a couple of twists and turns i somehow ended up with uh together with my two co-founders looking at broadly the problem of construction waste and it i, th I just thought it was a fascinating topic and at that time being very much the layperson and not knowing much about construction it just seems so strange to me that this industry produces so much waste, right? 40% of all waste come from the industry. And I was like, that's kind of crazy. And it also seemed kind of crazy to me that, again, as a layperson, there didn't seem to be this obvious solution to that problem. Because in other spaces, I feel like we have obvious solutions for big problems often, even though they're very difficult to implement, right? Say, take the energy sector. I think for most people, it's even if you're not deeply into the energy sector, relatively obvious that a transition to renewable energies, even though it's really hard to implement in, in a lot of ways, at least what we should be doing is kind of clear. And I didn't really see the same for this construction waste problem, even though I'm sure as we'll talk about, there is a pretty obvious solution. But at the time I was like, I don't know what's going on here. So I just thought it was really fascinating, this <clears throat> combination of a massive problem that impacts us all and the lack of an obvious solution or so it seemed. And so then we just kind of ran with that and ended up trying to, on, and hopefully are on the path to trying to figure out what we can contribute to, to actually addressing that. And also now other challenges. So it is pretty bold of you to, to identify this issue, but then say, you know, I don't really want to go into a typical construction firm or an architecture firm or get into the AI side of it. Yeah. I'm going to create my own company with my other two co-founders and propose yeah. a new solution for the industry. That's a yeah. really bold move. To be fair though, I, I, I'm also wondering whether any architecture firm or contractor would have me at that point, right? Because there, there is, I think there's resistance when, to when change, you, I guess. Yeah. When you, when you build, build a company and you try to build a startup, part of it is having some non-conformist idea about something and then oftentimes you end up being wrong and other times you end up being right or you could be somewhere in between but i think just the the opportunity to build something from scratch is really cool as well so i think it's not so much i think at least in my case the like as particular boldness as it is and it it's it's one i think if not the best possible path for me to make a contribution in this space where I can hopefully together with my co-founders take learnings from other experiences, be cognizant of the realities of construction or learn about it, but then also say, okay, maybe 
there are some opportunities to to try something here and do that in the doing that in the context of building a company i think it's just if it succeeds it's the most rewarding thing that you can do yeah, right that's true so, so we've talked about how you started the company and the company like yeah. we mentioned earlier yeah. is modulize um yeah. and as the name suggests it's an offsite construction platform <laughs> that's right yeah so you, it's essentially a web-based software where then yeah. correct me if i'm wrong but you can turn any building design into modular parts so that it's more um, suitable for off-site construction. So that is where we want to end up, end up. right? So there, there is a lot of, as as I'm sure most people listening will also know, there's so much complexity yes. in any given construction value chain, right? So for us, we think the this 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 vision of having the ability to just take any design and turn it into something that is ready to be built off-site is there's different ways of going about going about that a lot of companies now are looking at it from a from an angle of defining kits of parts defining construction systems and and the like and we we think that it is one of the most one of the more important and right ways of doing it but there's also i guess a second way that that we're proposing which involves a couple of other steps that we need to do first which is really do figuring out more scalable ways of using offsite construction using the existing infrastructure that is already there so if you look at offsite construction as an industry there are thousands and thousands of manufacturers producing building elements modules walls floors roofing different materials and those are already out there there's literally thousands of them but it's very difficult to basically find what we could think of as project manufacturer fit. So you look at a particular project and maybe you don't have the data or the insight to be able to optimize this for that particular construction system or kit of parts, but you say, I really want to use off-site construction here, but how? Oh. So the idea with Modulize is that before we can get to this optimization stage and and do do kind of the the cool stuff there are a couple of foundational elements that we think need to be in place and one is to actually capture reality in some sense so what we're doing is to basically build a SaaS enabled procurement platform as a step as a first step where as a construction company you can take a project and say okay i do want to use or at least consider using offsite construction for this particular project and there might be a subset of categories so for example you want to consider it's a school and you want to consider exterior wall elements and structural concrete elements that are prefabricated to build offside. But you don't maybe necessarily know who to tender with, where to go. So the idea with Modulize is that we will take the project and say for this particular project, if you're going to consider wall elements and structural concrete elements and maybe a couple of other categories, we can take that project and basically distribute it out to a network of manufacturers and figure out who's the best fit amongst those manufacturers for that particular project and then also give the manufacturers the tools to actually come up with a consistent view of their pricing their cost what a bid is going to look like because that's the other thing that's really challenging today is that as a construction company goes out into the market and says hey you three wall element manufacturers please give me a quote they run three separate processes and get back three different results that often are very comparable. And you go, I don't even know. Pretty inefficient. Yeah, I don't know, like this is apples to oranges basically. Yeah. So I don't know whether the cheaper one is actually the cheaper one yeah. in terms of the suppliers here. 
So what we're trying to do initially, and this is what we're working on, is to basically have this SaaS-enabled procurement platform that connects these two stakeholders, gives both of them the tools to have a very efficient tendering and also quantity takeoff calculation and the other st and price price estimation process. So we kind of just consolidate that process and for the construction company, turn it into a process that at least feels as if it was just one tendering process, not three, six, ten different processes. Because that, without going into the into the direction of us defining our own kit of parts and saying this is how it needs to be built, that we think is the way of capturing reality <laughs> and saying, okay, this is the space of what can be built based on the manufacturers that exist in the world. And then based on that platform and capturing those insights, we can then take that next step that you're that you're also talking about and saying, okay, actually, now we know what can be built by these manufacturers. Let's feed that back into the earlier process. And that's more of kind of the longer term vision for us because as we're still pretty early stage, we're kind of in the step step one or two of that playbook of actually getting there in the longer term. It's it's pretty amazing to hear you explain all that because I I I'm not sure that I'm, I'm... Uh, right when I say this, but um, two years ago when you started the company, did you have this large, this grand vision of being able to modulize any building? But it seems like this has been a really steep learning curve. You have, you have a really good understanding of how the construction industry works and the procurement industry works, and you've had to restructure your ideas of what modulize is because of the realities of construction. In some ways, yes. I think there, there's a couple of things that we learned along the way that made us slightly adjust at which least what we're doing. So, which is exactly. completely so normal. In, yeah, in startup lingo, thing. you would call it a pivot, right? And yes. I don't. we haven't actually had a major pivot. So we had some minor pivots in the sense of especially what is the first tool that we need to build from manufacturers to make their life easier? Because that the starting point for us was pretty early on that we thought, okay, we need to build something that's useful for the manufacturers, then we can build the platform and then we can go go big in yeah. in, a, in a few years' time. But I've but... talked to people around the world who have this grand vision of um, I'm going to modulize every single building and turn into off-site construction. Yeah. It's so simple. That's the answer. Why isn't everyone doing it? But it's beautiful to see how you have appreciated how the industry works, how manufacturers, you, you've identified smaller problems within the industry in procurement and getting all these different bids and different options and it's 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 nice to see that you have evolved from that grand vision and you're saying okay yeah. i'm going to tackle this one problem yeah. educate the industry through my platform and then proceed to the next step yeah it's yeah. a much yeah, more I mean, I realistic like vision a, yeah yeah i guess it's a classical getting getting punched in the face by something yeah. kind of experience <laughs> right where you 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 have a grand idea that doesn't and and i think that's it's something that you at least we and i think a lot of people like know in theory and then when you go through the experience of actually make trying to make something come to life i think then things become very different right going from theory to practice where the the what we're building now the the context of it hasn't really changed so yeah. so, so we fundamentally believe Offsite construction is and should be the construction paradigm of, say, the next century, because otherwise, where there's no other big solution that will is likely to actually help us address all of these major challenges, and and yet 
the reality of a lot of building projects makes it very difficult to use offsite construction, right? Yeah. And so, so it's really a matter of also being an early stage company. We can't lock ourselves away and try to code up that big grand vision and then come back in five years and hope somebody uses it, right? So there need to be all of these in-between steps that also bring us all these learnings from Exactly. In, in terms of actually building the company and building something useful. So I yeah, think and getting us, feedback from from customers yeah, exactly. and from people in the industry. Because what like yeah, you said, exactly. what's the point of building a software that no one is gonna use? That's not really yeah. useful to the industry. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, exactly. And for us like a really interesting experience has been and that's more I think specific to construction and how how this industry works in terms of the level of digitalization. We, again, being kind of naive early on, we thought, okay, like IFC is a thing, right? So surely everybody uses that. And clearly that is not not necessarily the case, especially in the stage of the project where we ended up building something, which is the kind of tendering and procurement stage that we're initially focused on, right? Because oftentimes it's just not worth the effort and the resources required to, to have a good BIM, BIM model to have a good IFC file, right? Because they're, to make sure that the quality is there, everything's right, it's very difficult compared to just going and working with the floor plan. So those are the kinds of things I think that were very good learnings and I think we we made them quickly and early enough so that we can really wriggle our way to, to solving a real problem and that's kind of the stage that we're at now where I think we've built a, built a really good and really super useful tool for the manufacturers and now we're in the kind of early beginnings of starting to build that platform, which um, in its own right, I think will be pretty transformative if we get it right, but it also sets us up for that next, next stage. stage. Yeah, exactly. So, so your platform is already uh, operational. You have some people right. using yeah. it around yeah. Europe. What yeah. are the different exactly. stages to, uh, in your in your platform? Like, Do people upload a model? Is it then analyzed? Yeah. Like, what is it, Can you walk us through the stages? Yeah, yeah. So the workflow is relatively simple, right? So you've got the two sides, the construction company, the general contractor, and the manufacturers. The The construction company will basically start a tendering process through Modulize and say, for this particular project, I want bids for these parts of the building. So like we said earlier, that could be exterior walls and structural elements. And then that particular project slash tender will be distributed out either to the whole network of manufacturers or the contractor will say, okay, I only want like manufacturers in this geography, I only want this type of manufacturer so that we can do some some degree of like pre-selection filtering. And then those manufacturers will receive that tendered with the specifications as to what's required. Then maybe that part of the project goes to the timber frame wall manufacturer and that other part goes to the precast concrete manufacturer. They will then use Modularize to automatically do quantity takeoff. So to basically extract the the amounts, the net area, gross area, all the details that are needed to come up with a price quote. We will then, um, if the if the tool is configured right in that way, then the 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 takeoff calculations will then also be translated into a cost estimate and a set of materials, and that then gets put into the bid itself that is set to a standard format so that if three different manufacturers go through the process of that of these calculations, the output will have different numbers, but it will have the same format. 
And then the consolidated view of those different bids across the types of manufacturers then goes back to the, the contractor. They will then hopefully pick one of those manufacturers. And that is where currently the workflow ends. Okay. So it's really that stage of identifying the, so, so developing the, the calculations and coming up with the, with the quotes, with the bids and selecting the right manufacturer for that project. Okay. And then going forward for us, it's all about figuring out, okay, which direction do sure. we expand further into? But that's where we're at today. But that depends on the feedback, depends on where exactly. you see growth, exactly. what, what your clients are demanding. How, that, exactly. would, that, that will change how you pivot to the next part of Modulize. Modulize exactly. part so, three yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's all about collecting as much feedback and input as possible and then coming out or I guess being as clever as possible about what we do with that. Yeah. Because I guess what we don't want to do is run around and implement every piece of feedback every time something comes through the door. But we rather want to try and be, yeah, I guess a little bit smarter about it, where we want to have a broad view of similar but different enough types of stakeholders so that we can try and identify themes that are problems that are true for more than one stakeholder or more than one type of user or more than one type of manufacturer because what we don't want to do as a startup trying to build a product is to effectively become a consultant to a company and like building a solution that works for them but then it doesn't work for anybody else yeah so that's the kind of constant dance of trying to collect as much feedback as possible and then actually knowing which parts of the feedback to take on board and then also in which order to focus on them because we're small teams so we also can't do everything so you started your company in 2020 which is yeah. which was a very challenging time for yes all of us but was it easier or difficult or more difficult to grow this to grow marginalized in norway during that time period was there a lot yeah. of support from the norwegian government and from other people in our industry yeah so i want to say it was both because on the one hand, we, on a personal, but also on a professional level, kind of struggled with the same things everybody else was struggling with, right? So there was nothing unique about Norway in that sense. We had lockdowns. We had, yeah, everything that was kind of terrible Shortages. about yes. COVID. Yes. That was all true here as well. You see, I think more or less compared to, to other, other countries. But I think what was kind of great was that within all of that, Less than less than ideal uh, context. There was a couple of really kind of positive positive aspects that really helped us early on in the very early days. Where one, because of COVID and because of lockdowns, everybody had gotten so used to being online that these manufacturers that we were trying to reach initially, we could actually reach them without having to drive all over Norway, which is what we would have done pre-COVID because. So in the in Northern Europe, particularly, a lot of the offset manufacturers work with timber, so producing walls and the like made out of timber. So they will typically have their factories in the forests, by the forests, by rivers, uh, but not by the cities. So we're based in Oslo. So pre-COVID, we would have been driving all over the country trying to meet with these manufacturers because they wouldn't necessarily be that keen to hang out on Zoom or Teams or whatever. And that obviously changed during COVID. So that was super helpful, actually. It's like overnight, everyone was accepting of 
<laughs> virtual calls. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it wasn't these like we were in this weird group of random people reaching out and suggesting this strange way of meeting. It was okay. Of course, we'll we'll like we'll meet on Teams. Like, what else? What we do? So that it's, was. It's funny that way, isn't it? Like the yeah, we just adapted to this new reality so yes. quickly. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And I hated it, but it was very good, right? Yeah. In that sense. So it was super helpful. And then the other thing that was helpful for us as well was actually that the Norwegian government to have a set of grant schemes for early stage startups, but also for SMEs, later stage companies, so on and so forth. They increased the sizes of the grants during COVID for various grant types. So we ended up getting a slightly larger grant from the government, which is which was not non-dilutive funding, then we would have gotten pre-COVID. So within all of the the bad stuff that came with COVID, there was a couple of nice, uh, more or less meaningful meaningful benefits that we managed to to actually yeah. gather from that. And we were also super lucky in a way because there was this window in summer 2020 when we were kind of figuring out what we were going to do there where there weren't any lockdowns in Norway. So actually that was very lucky in terms of the timing that we we actually got to have a meaningful period during the summer where there weren't any major lockdowns so we could actually like hang out and spend time together physically, which I think makes makes a huge difference. Agreed. Yeah. So um, over the last year, I've heard a lot of rumors about the VC world drying up and it's been really difficult for many startups to gain funding and new yeah. get new people on board. Have you experienced the same in Norway? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a pretty global phenomenon, yeah. right? So I don't think there is like one geography that is insulated from yeah. everything that's going on. So I think broadly things look kind of the same here, but starting from a different base, right? If you compare it to the US, valuations were already lower even during the boom times. So there was maybe less of a, or is less of a drop to be had. And, but I think broadly speaking, the macro trends are pretty similar. So where, I'd say same as in the US, the later stage companies are the ones that are the hardest hit because they're closer to the public markets. And then it kind of trickles down from there. And we, I guess a year in to the correction where we'll see where we end up. But I think with the, with the early stage companies, such as us, I guess also still like slightly later into series A, there is there is still a lot of capital, I think, available. It's just that we as founders might have to swallow a couple of pills around valuation and the like, but I think overall it's not yet having gone through a process in this environment. I think it's still... It's not all doom and gloom, like, like some there, there is, say. There is yeah, so, so there is money available. I, I don't think it will be as pleasant to fundraise now as it was maybe a year ago. But I guess it all comes back to building something that is meaningful, important. and But I think also is actually in the more traditional sense, venture-backable, right? So the very high potential outcome, potentially with high risk, but the high reward being there. Because I think that also, I guess, is one of the way which will come with the lower amounts of capital, I guess, likely to be deployed and the depression on the valuations and all these things that are happening. I think being a real venture case early on and 
yeah. I guess being potentially the winner in a space and not being the third or fourth or fifth in the category, which probably would have been fine a year ago. Now I think we'll we'll need to it, make our case that we can actually yeah. yeah, I think we I think we be as early stage companies need to make a much stronger case that we will actually win a space the space yeah. and not that we will be one of the five, ten best solutions in that space because the yeah, because I guess conditions have changed. We have talked about it, it seems like you've gone through such a steep learning curve over the last two years and I've said this already. But yeah. you've tackled learning how the construction industry works and getting yeah. to know all these suppliers, getting to know what your client wants, and at the same time, fundraising and and everything that comes along with building this company. Do you think that deciding to start Modulize with two other partners has been an excellent decision for you because you all can maybe share this workload and you all have specific um, skills that... Yeah. Like all of y'all are not working on the same task at once. Y'all can delegate. Yeah. Work. I think everyone's different. For me personally, I don't want to imagine doing this as a as an individual founder. Um, I, I think part of that is being a first time founder. Yeah. So I think it's not just learning the industry, right? It's learning how to build oh, a company exactly. and everything that comes with that. So for me, I feel very fortunate to have two great co-founders. Um, I think for the three of us, we, even with just removing one person, we wouldn't have the same, I think, quality also of the dynamic and the ability to cover so many different things. So for me, it's great. I think for other people, maybe it's better to be just two people. And then for yet another group of people, doing the, uh, the solo founder route is probably the right choice. But I would imagine that with at least in my situation, having these multiple learning curves to stack on top of each other, it's probably not such a bad idea to have co-founders. Yeah. When you started off, when you started Modulize in 2020, you were looking for something different, something exciting that would challenge you and help you explore this world yeah. of AI that you were interested in. Has Modulize turned out to be what you hoped or has it been um, a bit of a wake-up call that okay, maybe this isn't really what I wanted and I'm, I, I need to learn a different skill set and it's it's yeah. not what I use at a different, what you use yeah. at a different company. I mean, I definitely have to learn a ton of different skill sets, but I think that's exactly what I'm looking for. I am, personally, I, it's... Lifelong one learner, of this, that's what you yeah, seem like. So yeah, so I, no, I, I think for me, it's uh, from a personality point of view, the, the th one of the things that I find scariest is being bored. So, and it happens very quickly. So I think with that type of predisposition, I guess, being, being a founder is probably one of the best things I could have done because I am definitely not bored and I don't think I will be anytime soon. And the other thing for me, the, I, I've never had this feeling of falling in love with a particular technology. I think language is fascinating. I think natural language processing is fascinating. I think AI is and all, all the different kind of topics that we talk about so much now, but it's, I, I, I find the ability to like do something with that much more, much more exciting than the technology as a means to an end, as just the end, it's the means to an end, right? It's yeah. not the end in itself for me. So for me getting to 
build a tech company in a space that I think is just so fundamentally important to all of us. We all live somewhere, work somewhere. It impacts our environment. It impacts everything. I think that is much, much cooler than getting to say, okay, I work with AI or I work with this or that technology. So, and I think that's, that's been like that for me the, the, the whole time. So, and, and with that, I think doing, doing this is a, is a, is a pretty, pretty good choice. And I'm, I'm very happy. I can't say things go exactly as I expect because there's a lot to learn and yeah. there's a lot to just not foresee, but I think that's also exactly how I want it to be. Yeah. Do you have a piece of advice for a young individual who's just as passionate as you are about artificial intelligence or automation in the construction industry? Because I, what you what y'all are building, like y'all are still trying to y'all are a young company trying to figure out your niche in the industry. But the path that you're on has so much potential. There yeah. is so much potential to automate the the construction industry, yeah. whether it's yeah, offsite totally. construction, onsite construction. It's it's such a valuable area and you all are, you all are tapping into that valuable area and trying to find your niche but is there one piece of advice you would have for a, a young individual straight out of college or something that's interested in that the space that you're in right now yeah yeah i guess for me maybe it would be and, and it's also because it is kind of personally driven but i do think it's important to not just fall in love with the technology yeah or and then try to like retrofit that onto something because I really want to work with the like open AI API and I, I'm going to try and like figure out how to do that. I think, especially in an, in an industry like construction, where you then do that and you do get punched in the face because the basics maybe aren't as you would expect and you don't need the, the most sophisticated technology. You just need to solve a problem. And I think if you can find a problem that you really passionately care about and then you can be a little bit more agnostic to how you solve that problem what the, what's the technology stack i think that would be my 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 advice to maybe go that route because i do think it's more likely that you end somewhere end up somewhere where you'll make a real impact and i think at least to me that that is maybe more exciting than getting to work with a particular technology i love that i love that realistic approach it it's it's not like saying, hey, I love a, a Boston Dynamics robot and I'm going to figure out how that robot can work on a construction site yeah. to transport tools. No, exactly. no. Exactly. you've said, no, identify a problem, identify, talk to the people in the industry and yeah. then figure out your place in it. And that is yeah. such good advice for, for everyone in the industry looking to innovate. Thank you, Lucas, for sharing all this information about Modulize and sharing your knowledge. I'm looking forward to seeing how Modulize um, evolves in the next few years and seeing what the next version of Modulize and what it, what it, how it helps our industry. Um, if people want to learn more about the company, what's the best way to reach out to you maybe, or maybe go to your website or some social media pages? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so you can find us on Modulize.com. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can also reach out to me, Lucas at Modulize.com. So pretty straightforward. And yeah, I think those are probably the easiest ways to reach out, learn more. And yeah, for anybody in construction or interested in construction, we're, we're, we'd love to love to chat, love to learn more, and also love to share our passion for site construction. So definitely keen to hear from anybody who wants to, wants to chat more about that. 
Thank you once again, Lucas. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me.